0: What is going on everyone? Welcome to another episode of Very Cold Lasagna The Show, housing a safe and open listening platform for casual, hot, but mostly cold, and even the dumbest takes on the world of WWE, all elite wrestling, and the National Football League, as well as the wide world of wrestling and sports in general. I'm your host, Dylan Lasagna. Welcome to today's episode, episode number twenty-five. We've hit that quarter mark of sorts here on this show, and I wanna thank you guys so much. And I really wish um we can continue to grow, and I do appreciate the growth. And we continue to do it on the audio side of things, but let's continue to do so on the YouTube side of things. And I appreciate the support regardless. So let's keep it going. Let's keep it rolling. Let's keep it. Let's keep it real. <laughs> let's keep spreading the truth about out there about the wide world of wrestling and sports. So anyway, today we got a good show for y'all. We're going back into the very, 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 very cold section of the fridge the freezer whatever you want to um put it and we're going into the old icebox we're going back to the past for another retro review and we're going back in time 20 years ago to the invasion so before i go really really in depth about the invasion what is the invasion it was a storyline in professional wrestling at the very tail end of the Monday Night Wars between the WWF obviously now known as WWE and WCW World Championship Wrestling so this was an angle that was pretty at the time pretty hyped up it was pretty hyped up WCW and WWF in one programming like WCW was invading the WWF they were gonna have this huge all-out all-out storyline Where the stars were going to align. But I'm just going to say it right here. It didn't turn out as planned. It didn't turn out as planned. It was was a massive disappointment. It turned out to be one big wet fart. As I frequently like to say it all the time. It turned out to be just... like In the early days, one of the biggest wet farts. And one of the biggest what-ifs in professional wrestling. So we're going to get into um this retro review this retrospective of the invasion angle in in my mind one the biggest what is one of the biggest disappointments in professional wrestling history um and for various reasons but obviously we always do what we got to do to start the show and that's plug some stuff. We got to plug some stuff. Make sure to subscribe here on YouTube. If you're watching this on the video side, then subscribe, turn on the notification bell. So you'll be notified of each and every episode of the very cold design your show that goes up on YouTube. And as well as you get some rants, some other um, topical things that I like to talk about that I don't discuss here on the podcast slash show. And you don't hear the on the audio side of things. Speaking of the audio side of things, make sure you go listen to me on Apple Podcasts and M and Spotify. I appreciate the support on the audio side of things. You guys are nailing it over there. And if you want to follow me on social media, and I encourage you to, go do so on Twitter and Instagram at Jericho Lasagna. So now let's talk about the invasion angle. This thing happened twenty years ago. It was the end of the Monday Night Wars and as I said before this was pitting WCW against the WWF in this one very large storyline that span f- for eight months from March to November of 2001 but in all honesty if for all of you my listeners my viewers and for my target audience which for you and me are casual fans for all of us here cuz we're one happy family because we should be. For us to understand this, the invasion angle, we obviously have to go back to the Monday Night Wars. If you didn't know what the Monday Night Wars was, or still don't know what it is, I honestly don't know what to tell you. This was the boom period. This was an even bigger boom period than the, golden, the 1980s Golden Era Wrestling. Sure, the 1980s Golden Era Wrestling had um, Hulk Hogan... Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man Randy Savage, and many many um, colorful characters of the 1980s that kids grew up grew up with, and it made the WWE um, what it is today. Like it made them a household name in professional wrestling. But without the Attitude Era, they, they wouldn't have survived WCW because. In, in the nineteen nineties, or like at least for half of it, they weren't doing so well. They didn't adapt to the times. They were still the WWF was still trying to emulate the eighties, you know, traditional heel versus face and colorful character dynamic. And Vince McMahon was was competing with Ted Turner, the owner of WCW and uh, Warner Media. So, Ted Turner at the time, he, he it's he enlisted the help of one Eric Bischoff. Some of you may know who Eric Bischoff is in the wrestling business. He si- he helped sign away Vince's top stars in Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, among others, in 1994 in preparation to compete with the WWF. WCW was still doing um, pay-per-views, but they were in preparation to trying to fully compete with the wwf so a year after in september of 1995 wcw monday nitro premiered it was their competition of sorts to monday night raw which premiered two years earlier in 1993 so nitro at the time when it when it debuted it didn't have like this consecutive ratings victory that wwe documents or hardcore wrestling fans document it was trading victories because it was still trying to find its footing and eventually in 1996 a year later it found its footing when they not only began to sign away more stars they not only introduced a cruiserweight division filled with wrestlers from around the world with the likes of dean malenko Rey mysterio eddie guerrero y2j chris jericho and Ultimo Drago... uh, Ultimo Dragon... Sorry, I mispronounced that. But... There was one particular... Angle... One particular... Stable... That helped Monday Nitro... Win the ratings war... For... 86 consecutive weeks... Nearly two years... Monday Nitro beat... Monday Night Raw... For nearly two years... From 1996 to 1998... Hulk Hogan... The beloved Hulk Hogan that would... Eat your vitamins. Say your prayers. What you going to do, brother? That Hulk Hogan turned heel at the 1996 Bash of the Beach. It's very well documented. It's always shared around highlights, YouTube, whatever. He turned heel with Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, who are doing this Outsiders uh, storyline. Invader, WWF Invaders storyline in WCW. They formed the famously known new world order. They were the rebellious bunch in WCW. So from that point on, the WWF lost the ratings battle with WCW for again, two years, nearly two years. They were trying to find changes. They were trying to like find what 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 was the answer? What were fans wanting to see out of the the WWF? And during that two-year span they gradually shifted towards the more or adult oriented more sexualized themes that obviously led to the attitude era like racial groups like the nation of domination uh the rule-breaking wisecracking degeneration x tandem of triple h and Shawn michaels and most famously the beer-cracking wisecracking son of a bitch Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Stone Cold Steve Austin that's often shared, um, at least in the um, glory days, by many, many fans of wrestling. So, by the time WrestleMania 14 rolled around, gone were the cartoony gimmicks and the traditional heel versus face. And in came beer drinking, brawn panties, and satanic elements in the WWF. And in came the Attitude Era. And now by this point of the, po- the, the show, I'm merely summarizing um, what's been going on. And yes, to agree, yes. I totally understand. Now, if you want um, a full rendition of the Monday Night Wars, I highly suggest um, the WWE Network's um, Monday Night War documentary. It's really, really good. Um, because here, what I'm telling you right now, it's all leading up to the invasion so by 1998 um wf eventually got its footing right they finally regained um the rating the their their footing with the attitude era and they finally got a ratings win on april 13th 1998 on on that raw when they they teased the uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Versus Mr. McMahon. Because by that point. Mr. McMahon. Um, the character. Not the person. He, he was this tyrannical uh, owner of the WWF. It, and this was because of the Montreal screw job Where Bret Hart thought he was going to um, win by DQ. In his hometown of um, Montreal. At Survivor Series. Because he was leaving for WCW. But vince mcmahon changed the outcome last minute and screwed literally screwed brett <laughs> over in favor of Shawn michaels he, he ordered the referee to ring the bell um, when Shawn michaels had bret hart trapped in the sharpshooter even though brett didn't tap he had earl Hebner ring that bell and and it led to the vince mcmahon uh, mr mcmahon character and austin being the um Rebellious um, beer drinking uh, sob that that led to this feud Um, that led to this rebellious feud. So by 1998, what about WCW? Um, They had Goldberg. They had Goldberg um, go on this um, 173 match winning streak, if I'm correct. They they struggled. They even they had Goldberg, but they still struggled due to hot shot booking. And uh, questionable decisions, just both creatively and financially. And those decisions, those struggles, came to a head in 1999, at a very tail beginning of 1999, on one January 4th, when WCW was live with Monday Night Show, and Tony Schiavone, who some of you may know is commentating on All Elite Wrestling now, was told by Eric Bischoff to say this following statement, and I quote, Fans, if you're even thinking about changing the channel to our competition, do not. We understand that Mick Foley, who wrestled here at one time as Cactus Jack, is going to win with the world title. Ha! That's going to put some butts in the seats. (laughs) That's literally the words Eric Bischoff told Tony Schiavone. I kid you not. I literally kid you not. And that decision by Bischoff completely backfired as wrestling fans switched over to Raw, which was pre-taped that night. And they saw Mick Foley wrestling as Mankind. He was in the mis- in the midst of this feud with the-, the Rock, who was a heel, and with the Corporation. At the time, he wasn't um, the People's Champion yet. He he won the title over The Rock that night, and he had this big celebration with the fans. The fans were at that night were were popping big for Mick Foley, and the fans at home were obviously celebrating. So when the fans that switched over from Nitro to Raw came back to Nitro, they were in for a surprise. They were in for a surprise and not a good one. So WCW's main event for that night on January 4th, 1999 was supposed to be Goldberg getting his world title rematch against Kevin Nash. But they did the storyline where Goldberg was arrested for stalking Miss Elizabeth. And um, Hulk Hogan came back to challenge Kevin Nash for the title, and Nash accepted. And they, in the main event in the Georgia Dome, mind you, they teased um, Nash and Hogan. We're gonna go at it. They're gonna fight, brother. But Hulk Hogan simply poked Kevin Nash. Nash oversold it, as if he died or something, and. Hogan Pinned Nash 1-2-3 To win the WCW world title And in the moment Known as the finger poke of doom It damaged The company's reputation and credibility And even though they Managed to win um, One more um, Rating rating Over Monday Night Raw WCW Was going to lose They were going to lose this uh, war Because of that Hot shot booking that questionable decision-making and And eventually wrestlers playing politics backstage that that utter backstage chaos It's it was eventually gonna turn the tide for WCW in a very 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 bad way So that's what the WWF they continued their success with raw. They had all the top stars. Everyone was engaged week in week out so much so they got SmackDown. They got a second show on UPN called SmackDown for to get more time for its wrestlers. And so much so that WWE, uh, WCW was in a bad state um, and eventually getting even worse that they were able to get new stars. WWF was able to get new stars like um, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, and Eddie Guerrero. By 2000, WCW... Um, was reaching new lows and heading in 2001 they were looking for someone to buy the company they looking for someone to buy the company and they got canceled They they got they got canceled off tnt and why did they get canceled off tnt well they did stuff like giving david arquette the wcw title uh vince russo and hulk hogan had this public spat uh, Bash of the Beach 2000 where Vince Russo literally blurred the lines again between kayfabe and real life. He called, literally called Hulk Hogan a backstage politician because Hulk Hogan didn't want to put over Jeff Jarrett and shout out to OTR Central. He assumed the Jeff Jarrett position. <laughs> that mid-card piece of crap. <laughs> he wasn't going to get the WWE World title and I can't blame him. I can't blame Hogan for wanting to put over <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. Um, but anyway that, that dash of the beach was the last time WCW would see if Hulk Hogan And they would have a dispute um, Between one another But that's, for another, that's another story for another time So Russo would also use his Control as a booker And a writer To have himself win the WCW title um, But he had to Forfeit it because he suffered a cu- Concussion during that match And he vacated the title afterwards. So all in all. One bad decision. Actually two bad decisions. By Eric Bischoff. Led to the downfall of WCW. And the WF. Claiming victory. Because by 2001. Again WCW was cancelled by TNT. They didn't want to carry this shit show. Any longer. And Eric Bischoff and his. Um. In his financing group I, I don't know what it's called But he, he he was trying to purchase WCW But No national um, Television station Would carry them TNT didn't want to carry them TBS didn't want to carry them Nobody wanted to carry WCW And Eric Bischoff Backed off And in came Guess who WWF And Vince McMahon They came Marching in Purchased their bid And Bought the WCW for just three million dollars. That's literally how much WCW had fallen by that point. It was only worth just three million ducats. That was it. So on March twenty third, two thousand one, just days before WrestleMania seventeen, Vince McMahon and the WWF bought WCW, all of its assets, its video library, and twenty five wrestler contracts. Now, there's a key element to this purchase, um, which I'll get into a bit about um, WCW's main talent. Actually, not in a bit, but towards the very end of this um, show today, this episode, because it plays a very big role on how the invasion went down, on how it affected the invasion angle very much. So, the Monday Night Wars is over, um, because Monday Nitro... And WCW was about to end. They were bought by the WWF. But TNT did allow. WCW to have one final show. One last goodbye. Because well they were being bought by the WWF. And Monday Nitro aired one last time. Um, Vince McMahon opened the show. Claiming victory. It's like haha fuck you. Um, (laughs) WCW. And all you fans. And whatever is left of them. And. Vince claimed victory and you get at least WCW fans got two um big matches as Booker T beat Scott Steiner to win the WCW title and two longtime WCW wrestlers in Sting and Rick Flair um faced off with Sting Wayne in the main event and in the closing moments of the show vince mcmahon once again appeared to you know rub it in everyone's faces that oh i am the sole man i am the sole oh, uh promotion in the wf nobody can stop me and out came shane mcmahon and he cut this promo about that how he now owns wcw and that that was the um obviously set up they had plant the seeds for the invasion storyline that would be later be the scene. Obviously, uh, a couple of days later, they had faced off at WrestleMania 17, but that didn't play much of a role for the purchase uh, for the storyline that would be the invasion. Yet, now, I ECW does get involved um, in this invasion storyline, but WWE didn't purchase ECW um, until 2003. That um, paul heyman the owner of ECw um he closed the company in 2000 in earlier 2001 and he was still in bankruptcy proceedings um around that around the time of the invasion so it was kind of weird how they were still able to mention ecw while not having most a lot of the assets to um for 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 ecw but it, it was just kind of weird it was really kind of weird but it was a kind of weird process how that went. So, with, the, with a couple weeks go by, no mention of um, WCW, and here we go, here we go. The Monday Night Wars have come to an end. No mention of the event of um, WCW in like about a month after WrestleMania Seventeen, after um, March twenty-six, two thousand one, and twenty years ago. On this day, May 28th, 2001, Lance Storm, a WCW wrestler, and honestly, he was mostly known for his uh, tag team after the invasion, the Un-Americans. He was the first WCW wrestler to invade the WWF when he cost um, Saturn and Terry a mixed tag team match against Trish Stratus and Steve Blackman. So, Lance Storm attacked... Um, t- uh, Saturn, and he left with Shane McMahon and Shane McMahon was right there on the Titan declaring the invasion has just begun. It is only beginning. So Vince McMahon, meanwhile, he was backstage with all the security guards. He was yelling at them, pal. It's like, how could you let this WCW wrestler slide in your DMs unattended and let that happen? If this happens one more time, I'm gonna fire you, pal. You're fired. So Storm's appearance set off a chain reaction on that episode of Raw. It would would officially kickstart the invasion angle. The following week, Hugh Morris attacked Edge during a, a match on Raw the next week. And fun fact about Hugh Morris, Hugh Morris is actually Bill DeMott. Yeah, the former head trainer Of NXT. Some of you may know him. Some of you may not know him. But for those that don't know him. And I'm assuming um, some of my listeners on this show do not know who he is. So a little little fun fact for you. He's Hugh Morris. He he was this WCW wrestler. Um, His ring name was a pun on the word humorous. So Hugh Morris. So I guess that's something. But he had this character that would laugh frequently because it was something that was never given to him he never had it and again he was bill Demott, the same bill Demott as the head trainer for nxt um from 2011 to 2015 and he was in controversy because of some misconduct allegations from various wrestlers and he resigned in 2015 because he didn't want to um embarrass the company's image yeah. So we had a couple of WCW wrestlers um, by that time invade WWF, and to be honest with you, when their first WCW wrestlers are Lance Storm and Hugh Morris, um, it it's kind of um, weird. But as someone that's looking retroactively back at it, as if I didn't, I never saw the invasion angle. I'm like, okay, I can let this pass. I can let I can let this slide for a little bit, and then we get to the actual storyline that truly begins the invasion angle. So, at the 2001 King of the Ring pay-per-view, WCW champion Booker T interferes in the triple threat main event between Stone Cold Steve Austin, Chris Benoit, and Chris Jericho, and he attacks Steve Austin. He puts him through the announce table and almost costs him the WWF title, and The next night on Raw, while Shane McMahon and Vince McMahon are confronting each other, Booker T attacks Vince and hits him with the scissor kick. And Booker T and Shane run away from the WWF roster. So the battle lines were literally drawn on that night because WCW had their big name. And to be honest with you, that was one of the very few big names WCW had. And we'll get into that in a bit. Days later, on the June 28th episode of SmackDown, 2001, mind you, WCW tag team champions Chuck Palombo, some of you may know him, um, and Sean O'Hare were the next additions by attacking the Hardy Boys. Now, by that point, it was pretty much hit and run for the WCW wrestlers, but this time around, the WF wrestlers got a measure of revenge by literally blocking every exit of, of the uh, ringside area. And the WWF wrestlers were waiting for them. They brought back Palumbo and O'Hare. And brought them back to the ring for an all-out assault. And the WWF was able to get a measure of revenge for that night. So, at that point, it it was clear that the WWF... I keep stuttering that that bitch. (laughs) The WWF... Um, was trying to get rid of WCW's presence in in their company, but in actuality, the WWF was trying to test the waters with WCW as a separate entity under their company. They're trying to give it um, a shot as like this third brand of sorts. It's kind of like with NXT <laughs> today. So what it did was give it the last 20 minutes of raw as like you know a test run to see if fans would be okay with it and let's just say this didn't really go well this did not go well at all so in place of jim ross and paul Heyman were scott hudson and Arn anderson on commentary which was already a red flag because wouldn't you have mike Taney and tony Schiavone there unless they were under um uh, not WCW contract or like AOL Time Warner contracts. Like, of all them, those two. It was it was, was kind of weird watching that. It was, really was. Well, you had WCW champion Booker T defending his title against Buff Bagwell. The match it was all right. It like people shat on it. It was not the WCW's title, but it it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't the worst. It wasn't the worst match of all time, but I. It, yeah it was pretty much hated by a majority of the fans in Tacoma Washington. They were just jeering and booing everything in tennis I don't know if they like just hated it for the sake of hating it but it sure sounded like it. So they finally cheered for something because Steve Austin and Kurt Angle attacked Booker T and Buff Bagwell and they kicked them out of, they they kicked them out of the arena and I'm just looking at this. And I saw like um, other invasion videos while preparing for this, and I'm just baffled why Vince decided to <laughs> book this, why the writing team decided to book this on this particular Raw. When literally the next week, when Raw was in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, a pro WCW crowd, and they were in a WCW city. Literally, the WCW headquarters was in that city. I, it was kind of weird. Why they didn't do it there? like Why didn't WCW, uh, WWE have to do a WCW match? Like a WCW segment there? I don't know. I, in my opinion, I think Vince holding it in Tacoma instead of Atlanta. It painted an early picture of how he actually viewed WCW. In, not just in the story, but in general. I think this was Vince's way of getting back at WCW for all the shit he gave him during the Monday Night Wars Literally <laughs> all the shit he gave him very early on in the Monday Night Wars so the next week on Raw in Atlanta where they should have had that all WCW segment Tommy Dreamer and Rob Van Dam ran through the crowd two ECW guys this is, this is not WCW this is ECW they came into the ring and attacked Jericho, Chris Jericho, and Kane during their tag team match against WCW's Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. So this was this was this was already starting to get weird. This is really starting to get weird. So WCW had their um, messy angle. You know, they're trying to establish. Uh, is trying to establish them as this um, hot commodity, and then in comes ECW because reasons so wwf wrestlers the Dudley boys just incredible rhino and raven they came down to at least seem like they're gonna save kane and chris jericho but they turned their attention towards them and attacked them too and you know why they were also ecw wrestlers and they're they're defecting to ec to the ecw side which apparently is now a thing (laughs) It it, it was apparently a thing because Paul Heyman, um, who was also, again, the owner of ECW, but joined the WWF um, when ECW closed its doors in January of that year. He announced that ECW joined the invasion for reasons. He wanted to bring the wrestling back into wrestling. (laughs) I don't know. It was, it, was, it was very convoluted, but it got even more convoluted when in the closing segment of the night when Shane and Vince McMahon were supposed to have this temporary alliance to take out ECW and the two sides couldn't work together. They fought each other um, before ECW could even come out and ECW when ECW did come out um, to take out the WF side and WCW was going to fight them, you know, put them up, brother. They were gonna fight ECW, but they it said they just like you know hugged it out, bro. They high-fived each other, you know, like acted like bros and attacked the WWF. And it it was all revealed to be like this ruse by Shane McMahon that ECW and WCW merged into the alliance. Literally, (laughs) they literally added ECW into this. And that ECW had a new owner. Not in Paul Heyman. Literally, not in Paul Heyman. In Vince McMahon's daughter. Stephanie. Yes, yes, I just spat on screen because of how bad this started to turn out. I spat on screen for all you guys just because of how bad this started to turn out. Stephanie McMahon is the owner of this iteration of ACW. Now, I gotta be honest with you. Initially when I watched this invasion storyline like years ago on YouTube when I was like a wee little boy, <laughs> when YouTube was still relatively young, was still relatively young. I was then naive to think that the alliance under Shane and Stephanie could beat the WWF. And you know what? As I'm rewatching this, I I'm glad it did because I just don't understand why the McMahons didn't have Paul Heyman who was the owner of ECW he was the actual owner of ECW they couldn't have him be the owner of the of ECW in this storyline this makes no damn sense really makes no damn sense Stephanie McMahon did not fit the mold of what what Paul Heyman made ECW extreme extreme She didn't never, she never did anything at the time, like drastic, extreme, as the guys in the original e- iteration of ECW did. Like it it made no sense in the context of the storyline. It literally didn't. So all this revelation of Stephanie being the ECW owner, it made it loud and clear. It really made it loud and clear to me, and I hope by this point to everyone that's listening and watching this retro review this retrospective of the invasion it made it loud and clear that this was not about uh, the wf versus wcw and now apparently ecw this was all about vince mcmahon and rebellious kids this was going to be about vince mcmahon overcoming the odds and <laughs> trying to be the number one guy the number one wrestling promotion in the wf went It honestly has been for the last, like, couple of months already. It already has been. It's just. This is, like, kind of like the downfall of the storyline. This this is going to be the downturn of the storyline, if you ask me. So. There was a lot to dissect. There was a lot to dissect already with the Monday Night Wars and the early start in the invasion, and we're just getting started here. We are just getting started here um, with this retro review. Um, there's a lot more to dissect with this second half of this uh, retro retrospective of the invasion storyline. So let's take a break. Um, let's let's take a quick sip of water, <laughs> if, because after we come back, we're gonna talk about the invasion, um, the Rock coming back and then uh, some other parts in the invasion like SummerSlam um, then a brief mention about the 9-11 episode of Smackdown because that also happened in um, during the storyline and then the end of the invasion so the winner take all match at Survivor Series so let's take a quick break we'll be right back with some more very cold lasagna and stay tuned get that lasagna very cold and we'll be right back So, so far in this Invasion retrospective, we talked about the Monday Night Wars, the early start in the Invasion, and Stephanie McMahon being revealed as the new owner of EC-freaking-W, when Paul Heyman was literally right there as the actual owner. He actually owned it, and yes, I'm still arguing the fact that Stephanie McMahon does not fit the definition of extreme, at the time at least. She, in two thousand one, she didn't. So then, we continue on this with this very very messy storyline with the Invasion Pay Per View. Now, leading up to this uh, Invasion Pay Per View, people were um, tr- at least uh, trying to get excited about it um, because you know w, WWF versus WCW. Um, the alliance had all the alliance had all the Im- momentum, especially with the addition of ECW. And Vince McMahon was just desperate for momentum. He was trying to get the WWF rallied up. And um, he was especially trying to get Steve Austin, you know, um, like motivated and focused on this um, invasion. But Steve Austin was having none of it. Now, keep in mind, after WrestleMania 17, Steve Austin wasn't this rebellious beer drinking SOB that he was. During the Attitude Era. He underwent a very dramatic change in character. He was very coddly. He was very emotional. He was very friendly towards Vince McMahon. A lot of people were turned off by this Stone Cold Steve Austin. We did get some nice meme material where he was saying kumbaya um, to Vince. We got some funny moments with Kurt Angle (laughs) with Steve Austin, but... In all honesty, this iteration of Steve Austin turned off many people. It turned off many people. So like literally a week before like like a week before or, or, um in the invasion pay-per-view, not on the go home episode of Raw, but the SmackDown, like before this that episode of Raw, Vince McMahon upset Steve Austin. He wanted the old Stone Cold back and He didn't want the Stone Cold that gave him cookies and hugs, sang songs for him. And Steve Austin was hurt by that. He was hurt by that. And Austin walked out on him. And because McMahon didn't have um, Austin, that old Steve Austin, the Alliance were able to attack Team WF and overwhelm them by the end of SmackDown. Now, on the go-home episode of Raw, before the Invasion pay-per-view, Steve Austin... Was in a local bar. He was, you know, drinking his sorrows away because Vince McMahon didn't like the new Steve Austin. He didn't like the uh, the gifts, the hugs um, that he was giving him. Um, and he was watching on a TV that saw Team WF get overwhelmed again in this fight against the invasion, uh, against the invaders and in the Alliance. And apparently. Once he saw that, Austin drove through the arena in his pickup truck dude, <laughs> he attacked many Alliance members on his way to the ring, and it looked like he is back to his old self again, and the WF was standing tall with Steve Austin heading into the Invasion pay-per-view. Now, after that pay-per-view, it was all WCW and WF matches, so a lot of um, various undercard matches consisted of that. Leading up to the big main event, the inaugural brawl. This 10 man tag team match featured the alliance's Booker T, Dudley Boys, Diamond Dallas Page, who, by the way, should have been utilized better during this um, um, whole storyline, and Rhino facing off against the WWF. Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, Kanan the Undertaker of the Burst of Destruction. Now, near the end of this match, Kurt Angle had tapped out Booker T. Everyone was outside of the ring brawling with each other. They were all down. No referee was there to witness Kurt Angle tap out Booker T. So Steve Austin initially looked like he was going to bring the referee back so the referee could see Kurt Angle tap out Booker T. But Steve Austin turned on Team uh, WWE. I keep saying WWE. Team WWF. But he hit Angle with a stunner. And Booker T was placed by Steve Austin onto Angle as the ref count 1-2-3 in the alliance one thanks to Austin. And it further put Mr. McMahon into disbelief. And we literally um, witnessed, even further down, I I don't know, a slower and yet surely more uh, steady downward spiral of this storyline and I'll get to why later. So the next night on Raw, the Alliance happily welcomed Steve Austin um, to their crew in a celebration and appreciation of him and that was pretty much the reason why Austin defected to the Alliance. Vince McMahon did not appreciate uh, Steve Austin. He appreciated he felt like he appreciated Kurt Angle more. He felt like he appreciated The Rock more because he was calling The Rock for help. And we'll get into The Rock in a second. So Austin joined the Alliance for me was yet another major flaw in the storyline. It's because it showed that the Alliance didn't have many major players. They had a lot of B-card talent, a lot of jobbers um, in this squad. in in the eyes of the viewers, especially the casual viewers that... Probably haven't watched since WrestleMania 17. And yeah, I can't blame you. And those wanting a history lesson and watching it now, it made the Alliance look weak. And especially considering what Steve Austin did to the Alliance, um, even though he was still aligned with them as time went on with this uh, angle. So, I don't know. It, it was just weird. It was just weird. So... You're probably wondering by, by this point, I mentioned The Rock frequently. Where the heck was he? Where was The Rock during all this time during the invasion? Well, The Rock was written off TV. He he was quote unquote suspended um, by Vince McMahon after, the night after WrestleMania 17 where he lost a steel cage match to Steve Austin and he was beaten up by Triple H and Austin. But in actuality, he was filming The Scorpion King, a movie which would kickstart his acting career. So The Rock made his return on the July 30th, 2001 episode of Raw. And right away, he was presented with a decision. Join the Alliance or remain loyal to WWF. And both sides had some convincing arguments. Shane Shane McMahon told Rocky that... Vince cost him the W.F. Championship at WrestleMania against Austin, and the next night on Raw, and Vince told him that while that was wrong, he he pleaded, he wanted trust. He he pleaded and begged it to trust Vince, and in turn, The Rock gave Vince a rock bottom. And while initially it looked like The Rock was going to join the alliance, he shook hands, gave Shane McMahon a hug. Rock gave Shane a rock bottom too. And not just a rock bottom. A people's elbow as well. And he announced that finally. The Rock has come back. To the WWF. So he announced that he was remaining true and loyal to the WWF. And it became tried and true that The Rock was forever loyal to To the WWE. (laughs) So at Summerslam, The Rock had his first match since WrestleMania. He beat Booker T to win the WCW title, and that was kind of weird. A WF wrestler stealing away the WCW um, championship from you know WCW, but that happened frequently um, near towards the end of this um, towards the end of this um, uh, storyline. So, also at that pay-per-view at SummerSlam, The Undertaker and Kane beat Diamond Dallas Page and Chris Canyon. That was weird. Um, In a steel cage match to win WCW tag team titles and hold them alongside the WWF tag team titles. Also, X-Pac beat Billy Kidman to be a double champion with the WWF light heavyweight and WCW cruiserweight championships. So, in essence, the WWF had... All the momentum, literally all the momentum. WCW was looking very weak um, because they lost a good portion of their titles at at SummerSlam. But that, that it only got worse for WCW and ECW. At Unforgiven, they managed to retain their titles. The Rock retained the WCW title against Booker T and Shane McMahon. And Kurt Angle, just days removed from the horrific 9-11 tragedy, defeated Steve Austin to win the WF title. Speaking of 9-11, um, the WF held um, their famous uh, tribute episode um, in regards to the 9-11 attacks two days afterwards. Um, there have been many stories um, that have said this. Um, they're, they're supposed to cancel the SmackDown taping in, in Houston on September 13th, 2001. It was supposed to be canceled or at least postponed, but um, local government officials in uh, Houston assured Vince McMahon um, that the WWF would be very helpful for for people trying to get uh, their minds away from the national tragedy. And you know, I, I think both sides were were definitely um, willing. They definitely were. You know, had to go through a very difficult process. Like they're. They, it was a very difficult decision all around To put the, put that show like To even go on with that show Especially after, at the time A very difficult um, Tragedy that just, that just Had happened And I know a lot of hardcore fans Love to crap on Vince He's a lot of good credit for how He deals with di- very difficult situations He and the WF handled um, The 9-11 show Very well And he asserted everyone that was in attendance and at home that no one will live their lives in fear and it's a me- it was a message and still remains a message that was truly needed just days after America was attacked so that was a very empowering um, episode of Smackdown but we gotta continue on with the invasion because after Unforgiven the WF <laughs> they were gonna they, were, they looked like they were gonna implode because it was it was at that time the W F would would give some momentum to the alliance because they were fighting amongst each other. Um, Chris Jericho would feud with The Rock for the WCW title for the next month, but for some reason they were also um, allying with each other and winning the W F titles, uh, tag team titles at one point. Because um, well, they have their frequent. Um, and similar dislike for S- S- Stephanie McMahon and her, um, you know, let the boobies hit the floor. <laughs> that segment um, with Stephanie, but I digress. And the feud reached a boiling point on the October 8th, 2001 episode of Raw, um, where Chris Jericho accidentally hit the rock with the steel chair and it cost them their tag team match against Shane McMahon and Rob Van Dam. And this resulted in The Rock and Jericho brawling with each other backstage in the trainers area and that led to a title match at No Mercy where Chris Jericho beat The Rock to win the WCW title. Meanwhile, um, WWE Champion Kurt Angle lost his title back to Steve Austin after Commissioner William Regal turned on the WWE. He hit Angle with the WWE title belt and Steve Austin was able to bring it back to the Alliance. Regal was promptly fired by Linda McMahon and replaced by McFoley as the WF commissioner, but he was soon uh, declared as the Alliance's commissioner. It was also at this point where fans were, you know, getting tired of this um, angle for various reasons, and I'll get into those various reasons um, when I give my final thoughts on this um, storyline because I share a lot of sentiment that those fans were feeling at the time and still feel about it 20 years later so we'll get into that shortly because we have reached the end of the invasion angle we have reached the end of the invasion angle at survivor series 2001 because the night after no mercy the mcmahon family were just done with it and like both on screen and off screen they knew the fans were just growing tired of it they were just not responding well to this angle at all so the mcvan family agreed to a winner take all match at survivor series to determine the fate of the all companies the winner would stay in business the loser goes out of business forever this infighting from the wf didn't stop there a week after no mercy kurt angle betrayed team wf he attacked literally all members of team wf well, except for the Big Show because um, he wasn't there yet. He attacked four of the five members of Team WF, Chris Jericho, The Rock, Undertaker, and Kane with a steel chair. And the reasoning was very weird and honestly pretty lazy, in my opinion. He was simply a winner, which he was what he believed represent the greatness of America in himself. And he wanted to fight alongside uh, the alliance, a winning side. That was pretty weird, in my opinion. And it was pretty lazy, too. And that was kind of, like, starting to show um, what kind of direction the WF was heading in. Um, Not not at least rapidly, but you are starting to see some cracks in their riding team. So, anyway, Chris Jericho and The Rock were still feuding with one another over the WCW title. And it only intensified... weeks leading up to Survivor Series and where Jericho attacked The Rock after losing the WCW title to him on the November 5th episode of Raw. So Vince didn't like this infighting but instead of solving it he instead decided to create some tension of his own within, within the alliance. So that same episode where Jericho and Rock were fighting for the WCW title he decided to claim that there was a mole, a defector in the Alliance that would betray that would betray them in the upcoming Survivor Series match. So in the weeks leading up to this event, many within the Alliance obviously thought it was someone called Steve Austin due to his typical cold-blooded, roustic nature. And not only that, the way Steve Austin has frequently treated the Alliance, you know, physically, verbally, and emotionally attacking them, um in in various weeks but austin would frequently deny uh, these accusations so with now this infighting on both sides the time came for survivor series this winner take all event win or go home and a lot of was at stake not just on the main event side of things on literally all sides so there were two unification matches that happened Edge unified the WCW title, uh, United States title, with the Intercontinental title. He beat Test for it. The Dudley Boys, the WCW title, uh, the the WCW champions, beat the WWF tag team champions, the Hardy Boys, in a steel cage match to unify those titles. Now, we'll get into why these matches happen, these unification cha- matches happen, in a bit, because there was a lot of fallout that happened after Survivor Series. And then Test also won a battle royale. He entered the battle royale after losing the Intercontinental Championship to Edge. He won this battle royale to grant himself immunity from being fired for a year. But after after Survivor Series and after a few weeks, um, this immunity was completely forgotten. So now came the time for the winner-take-all main event. Winner-go-home. It pitted against the WF's best Against the Alliance is best. Or at least it should be. Or at least it should be. So Team WF had Kane, Undertaker, well, The Big Show, Chris Jericho, and The Rock. While well, the Alliance was represented by WCW owner, in storyline, of course, Shane McMahon, Rob Van Dam, Booker T, Kurt Angle, and Steve Austin. And when you look at this lineup, And when you look at this match, of course, a lot of people when they first watch it, whether it's this pay-per-view or the invasion, they get a lot of mixed feelings. And in my opinion, if there was a big time stage where the Alliance looked the most flawed, the most weak, it was here. At the very end, where the Alliance only had two true WCW and ECW reps on their squad this winner take all match was a very large symbolization of the whole angle there was literally no talent at least mostly from wcw and ecw you only had like at least three three guys or probably two at best that on the alliance side nobody else there was literally nobody else so in this main event match The eliminations came fast after like 10 minutes of not much happening. But when you watch this match back, when you watch this match, you know where they were going with the final two. Another chapter in the Austin versus Rock rivalry to determine in this time it wasn't for a championship. It wasn't for, you know, on a regular episode of Raw. It was to determine the fates of both companies. The critical point of this match came when Steve Austin, the sole alliance member, at the 34 minute mark, eliminated Chris Jericho with, guess what, a fruit roll-up. <laughs> so in return, when The Rock was, um, you know, getting ready to fight Steve Austin, this rock, the sole survivor left, Chris Jericho, um, in a continuation of his feud with The Rock, he attacked him and he assaulted him, and it nearly... Put the WF out of business, Um, but Steve Austin, who pinned The Rock right after Jericho attacked um, Rocky, The Rock kicked out. So, in another portion of their long standing rivalry, the Austin and Rock (laughs) Rock, uh, showdown, Austin and Rock gave their best blows. They tried to tap each other out with sharpshooters, they stole each other's finishing moves, all the while. WCW referee Nick Patrick, um, that crooked referee, um, he attacked WF referee Earl Hebner. So they were trying to one-up each other in terms of fairness and cheating and whatnot, while The Rock and Austin were trying to um, give their best blows. Kind of like a a very um, big mess right now. So after another stunner to The Rock... um, Austin attempted to wake up Hebner so he got the best of Nick Patrick Um, but as Hebner was trying to get revived Austin got hit by the mole he got hit by um, the turncoat which turned out to be Kurt Angle Um, yes Kurt Angle was apparently the turncoat of the alliance um, that McMahon has teased so Kurt Angle was revealed to be the alliance turncoat Um, He hit Austin with the WF title. And that allowed Rock. To hit the winning Rock bottom. On Austin 1, 2, 3. And the alliance. WCW, ECW. Was out of business. Sayonara, see ya. Along with this invasion storyline. For good. So. That was the invasion storyline. That was the end. At least for now. The end of the invasion storyline. And at that point. Everyone was like Vince McMahon celebrating on that Survivor Series stage. They were like, "Yeah, pal, let's take off our clothes, throw it on the stage, and celebrate like men." Yeah. Except they were just celebrating that this months-long clusterfuck of a storyline was over. They were they were just glad that was it was done, because there was just it just didn't feel like a very good payoff. Now, before I get into my overall opinion, my overall thoughts on this storyline, there were some last loose ends the WWF had to clear up after Survivor Series, because the Invasion didn't really end after Survivor Series, because there's a lot to sort out. There's a lot to clean up from WCW after that. So, the next night on Raw, Vince McMahon, like he did at the very beginning of the Invasion, when he bought WCW... He gloated about the end of the evasion. He gloated about the end of WCW and ECW. So what did he do? He went back to being his old self. He went back to being uh, the evil Vince McMahon. He went on a power trip all night in celebration. So the first thing he did was get rid of Paul Heyman and bring back Jerry Lawler. Well, at least that was the first good thing that he did. (laughs) But unfortunately for Paul Heyman, he came back. Um, the night after Wrestlemania 18 as Brock Lesnar's manager so um, apparently that was uh, kind of useless for um, Vince McMahon both Shane and Stephanie were fired Um, they were escorted out Um, Shane wouldn't be seen again um, until 2003 when he feuded with Kane so he left um, gracefully he congratulated his dad Stephanie on the other hand um, he blamed Shane for everything for losing and she was escorted by uh, security, but she would return, um, just literally two months later to feud with her, her on screen slash later real husband, triple H, um, and for, for their WrestleMania feud involving Chris Jericho. So later in the night, the kiss my ass club. The Vince McMahon Kiss My Ass Club became a thing. And William Regal, who turned on the WF just weeks ago, became the very first member because in order to keep his job, he would literally have to kiss Vince McMahon's white pasty ass. (laughs) And honestly, this is one of the funniest. Like, yes, it's kind kind of weird to see another man kiss another man's ass. But in the context of the storyline, it was like money as hell. And the commentary made it even better with Jerry Lawler. It was good to have Jerry Lawler back on commentary. He's like, he's going to kiss it. He's going to kiss it. Oh my God, he kissed it. <laughs> but anyway, let's get fanboy boyish about that. And continuing on. <laughs> he also planned to strip Stone Cold Steve Austin of the WF title. Um, and award it to the hero of Survivor Series, Kurt Angle. Who was gloating about his victory, his um, helping the WWF at Survivor Series excessively. So when it came time to do so, Ric Flair, who made his return to the WWF, he announced that along with Vince, he's a half-owner of the WWF, and you know, we saw the spaces of Vince doing like, huh, huh, okay, obviously I can't do it as well as uh, Vince does, but you get the point, you see the memes, you see the the, the gifs online. Of Vince doing that uh, weird face with his ear (laughs) um, on the episode of Raw, but this uh, owner thing was, yeah. Looking back on it, it, it's it's kind of funny with the context of like memes, but for the context of the review for this episode, it's confusing. It it's kind of confusing. So I'm just wondering. Did Flair become a half owner by betting on a winner at Survivor Series? Like, did he bet at, on the night of Survivor Series? It's like he revealed that when Shane and Stephanie um, became uh, when Shane and Stephanie bought WCW and ECW earlier in the year in storyline, Rick Flair became um, like this consortium, like AKA like he became a partner. With Shane and Stephanie I don't know like Or it, it's just weird like when did Ric Flair exactly become a co-owner of the WWF? You know what I'm saying? It It's just like The logic there was very weird. It was very very like mixed up I'm just like was Ric Flair a half owner of Survivor at Survivor Series when it was already one to begin with or what so Austin came out to attack both Vince McMahon and Kurt Angle, and obviously, to the delight of fans, he's a, he's a babyface again, he's a hero, and he took back his WWF title. But, that didn't stop there. The rest of the fallout consisted of, of members of the Alliance, most of them, getting fired Obviously, they were brought back for the um, later first brand split draft in March... Of 2002. But the very few members of the alliance that were left. They were allowed to keep their jobs. Because they were champions. Like Rob Van Dam. The Dudley Boys. Christian. Obviously Stone Cold Steve Austin. Before he attacked Mr. McMahon. And then Tess. Who won the Battle Royale. To grant immunity. And Taz. Who was already a commentator for Smackdown. And was on Team WF. Because he he was kicked out of the alliance, and while they and this, while they solved the roster problem later on, they had to solve the issue of the championship, not just with the world championship. All the championships acquired from WCW, because they had a issue that plagues them today: too many titles. They had way too many titles. They had the, the Light Heavyweight Championship, the European Championship, and the WCW Tag Team Championships, the Cruiserweight Championship, you name it. All the championships from WCW along with the, the championships they had in the WF. So, as I mentioned before, they had those two unification matches at Survivor Series. But, either those titles were, were still used, or they retired altogether. So, as I mentioned before, the WCW United States Championship and the tag team titles were were completely um, retired, but they brought back the United States Championship in 2003 as a SmackDown Championship. The light heavyweight title retired altogether. The cruiserweight title for WCW was rebranded as a WF title. And as for the other championships that WCW had, like the cruiserweight tag team, world, Champ- world television, And hardcore titles. They were never used. And if we're going on the topic of ECW titles. Well. As I mentioned like way earlier in this episode. WWF didn't have those assets yet. They were still being held. In bankruptcy court. So. They had a title dilemma. With too many titles. They still had to solve that. But the biggest title dilemma they had. To to solve. Was with their world championship they had two of them now one was the wwf and one was the world championship they got rid of the wcw branding because obviously it doesn't exist now so they had to get a solution together and they had to do it quick so the week after survivor series rick flair and Vince McMahon got together to announce a four-man tournament to crown one true undisputed champion At Vengeance 2001. Those matches would consist. Of the WWE Champion. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Going up against Kurt Angle. And the World Champion The Rock. Going up against Chris Jericho. And the winners of both matches. Would face each other to unify both championships. And these matches were. Culminations of two feuds. From spanning from the Invasion Angle. So these tournament matches would happen. Literally back-to-back-to-back in the main event-like slots. So Steve Austin would retain the WWF title against Kurt Angle, while Chris Jericho, with the help of Mr. McMahon, beat The Rock with his um, own finisher, The Rock Bottom, to win the world title. But after Chris Jericho's match, Austin immediately came out to wrestle Chris Jericho, but The Rock and Kurt Angle attacked both men. Um, The Angle attacked... uh, austin jericho attacked the rock um, before the match began so the match itself was a clusterfuck of sorts um because later on like halfway through mcmahon and rick flair in the midst of their co-ownership storyline they attacked each other um because they were trying to fight over fairness and um cheating Because Mr. McMahon brought over rigged referee Nick Patrick, but Ric Flair Wanted fairness and dragged his ass out, but Mr. McMahon got the upper hand on Ric Flair and You know attacked him so With no referee Austin got Jericho to tap out Jericho to his own walls and Jericho finisher But because there's no referee it allowed Booker T who hadn't been seen since Survivor Series to hit Steve Austin with the WWF title, so the ref came back in, and they, he didn't obviously didn't see what happened. Jericho pinned Austin to become the first WWF undisputed champion. So, with Jericho becoming the undisputed champion, the WCW title officially unified, and well, the lineage of the WCW title over it was unif- it was merged with the WWF title. The invasion was now officially over. And in my opinion, in all honesty, when you look back at this storyline, there are only a few good things that come out of this um, this angle, this story, this whole months-long storyline. It was the rise of Booker T, Rob Van Dam, Chris Jericho. I think that's it. <laughs> that's honestly it. And that winner-take-all match. That winner-take-all match was pretty much everyone celebrating the end of the storyline. Otherwise, this a month long story that had tons of potential to it when Vince McMahon bought WCW, it ended up being one of the most disappointing angles, mainly due to impatience from Vince. One of the reasons why it failed is because the lack of star power from both sides outside of The Rock, Steve Austin, Kurt Angle. Undertaker and honestly other WF guys you didn't have any star power from the Alliance none whatsoever and I guess in fairness I totally understand why Vince McMahon wanted to do this invasion angle as soon as he did because he wanted to use his recently acquired um WCW talent and assets without you know having it become dated outdated you know he wanted to keep wcw in the fresh minds of all all the wrestling fans but the problem was the talent he was able to acquire you know that that 25 select talent that he was able to acquire they were b c d f level talent they were mainly jobbers or mid carters that were just background players that nobody cared about or ended up on sunday night heat and who watched who watched sunday night heat um besides that um uh, halftime heat match with Mankind and The Rock during the Super Bowl. He was unable to acquire the big name guys, which again, I, I honestly can't blame in fairness because it was out of, out of his control, like Ric Flair, Goldberg, the NWO, Rey Mysterio, and especially Sting, especially Sting, because they had very large contracts with um, WCW's parent company, AOL Time Warner, and... In the mind of Mr. McMahon Those were considered bad deals They were very expensive and Very lucrative And Vince wanted no part of it um, And most of those wrestlers Didn't want to renegotiate those deals um, They didn't want to take less money They would rather Wait at home Instead of wrestling in the WF for less money um, Immediately The only exception was Booker T um, He wanted to prove himself right away he was willing to take less money um so he can make a name for himself and that and honestly that's why he benefited um out of this clusterfuck of an angle um le- in at least in terms of exposure um well in while well, in the minds of willing to sit at home others like rick flair and dnw their deals didn't finish until the end of the invasion angle. That's why you saw Flair appear literally the night after the invasion ended. That's why you saw the NWO appear after the Royal Rumble. Their deals were not finished. They didn't end until after the invasion started, uh, ended. But even then, just imagine. Can we just imagine if Vince was able to negotiate uh, like renegotiate those contracts um? And come to, like try to contact AOL Time Warner, and you have guys like Goldberg and Sting, a creative leeway. Because I know, like when I was researching and try like watching videos, I knew Sting was very concerned about his character back in the day. He didn't want um, Vince to screw it up, and I, I totally understand. Sting was one of the hottest commodities in WCW and in the wrestling business back in the day especially with this um, character and just imagine if he had been given creative leeway it would just just given so much more credibility um, with with the invasion angle but also imagine if Vince would have just waited um, would have just waited even longer he, you know slow build this until um, he was able to Acquire these guys uh, or able to you know convince these guys to sign on to do this angle And not only that ECW Like I know like they initially didn't involve ECW, but ECW was eventually in this um, Angle and they were missing people like Terry Funk new Jack Sabu and others And even though Paul Heyman still owned it. It was kind of weird that they didn't he didn't go up to contact these guys and get them involved. And the WWF was also missing. Like one key player. Triple H. Um, he completely missed the invasion. Um, he actually returned. Like well after it was done. In January 2002. So just imagine. If Vince McMahon was more patient. If he was willing to. Like he could have still slow burn. this, have Lance Storm still. Um, invade. And you know. But, like, on occasion, have some WCW wrestlers, like, that B-level talent, invade, invade. And, you know, slow burn this up until 2002 where you could have signed those guys on. And just imagine the talent you could have gotten with Sting, Goldberg, NWO, Scott Steiner, Ric Flair. All on the WCW side. And if, if they still wanted to have ECW involved with... New Jack, Terry Funk. Sandman. Sabu. The invasion would have been loaded with star power. But it also would have been loaded with ego too. To be honest with you. But it, it's just a matter of impatience. On Vince McMahon to. Get this. Get this storyline going. Um, right away. Regardless of the talent that was there. And that's the primary reason. Why this angle hurt so much. Um, but. Another reason why this angle hurt so much was that there were just too many wrestlers. There were just too many wrestlers and too little time to showcase them. Because of the WCW acquisition, the roster doubled in size. And Raw only had two hours a week at the time. And the brand the brand split didn't exist yet. The TV time for wrestlers was even more precious. and It, it felt like everyone was concerned about their spot. Even the WF wrestlers were concerned about their spot. I honestly feel like the alliance looked weak in comparison because the wf didn't give fans any reason to make them a legitimate threat it's kind of like the invasion angle that WWF, uh, not the wf the we did back in 2019 for survivor series with nxt that one time where nxt invaded smackdown the night after crown jewel and literally nobody cared because nobody knew who they were <laughs> because like not many people watch nxt unless if you're like a super hardcore wrestling fan but not the average casual wrestling fan watches nxt and uh as the weeks went on nobody cared and if you want the biggest indication of that go watch Seth rollins versus adam cole on that episode of raw where nobody reacted at all um to that match and people and the hardcore wrestling fans the smarks were blaming the audience they were blaming the fans in attendance for not reacting to it at all when they were not given a reason to care they were not given a reason to care for that match at all they were not given a reason to care for adam cole they're not given a reason to care for um the nxt guys like no promo no vignette who the fuck they are like we're just a this is the this, this is the the problem i've always been trying to say each and every time i'm on this show why should the WWE or any wrestling promotion in general always have to assume we, the, the, the core, the, the target audience, the casual viewer, why should the fuck, even in 2021, why should we always have to know who each and every wrestler is? Why do we have to assume who, who they are? Why do we have to Google search them? Why do we have to use the internet? Why is it so hard for any wrestling promotion to to showcase, put together a promo package To show who these wrestlers are, it ain't that hard. And this was a similar feeling with the Alliance. And yes, it's a different time back then, but it still applies. A lot of them were relegated to Sunday Night Heat during the invasion. But again, did people really watch Heat? And continuing on with the Alliance looking weak, they they looked really weak in their matches. They either lost cleanly. Or they lost due to interference or DQ. Now get it. It's supposed to be the job of a heel wrestler or stable to win mat to win or lose matches in the dirtiest way possible, but it, it, they did so frequently, and it 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 lost the appeal. If it's a problem here. It's a problem now. And most importantly, there was way too much emphasis on the McMahon's. Like I mentioned before, once Stephanie McMahon became the owner. Of WC- uh, ECW before the invasion pay-per-view this storyline became all about the McMahons all about Vince <laughs> all about Vince versus his kids for the control of WWF and there's also overexposure on Steve Austin too as for Austin yeah he was pretty much put in the Alliance to try to um, make them credible when in actuality, he actually ended up hurting them. He really ended up hurting them in the long run. So by the storyline's end, this was the end game. Vince McMahon reigning supreme, uh, reigning supreme both literally and in storyline over all the wrestling competition. And for the better part of over a decade, there literally was no wrestling competition. And literally, that's when you started to see the slow, 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 and eventually rapid decline of the WWE because there was literally no competition And eventually you Also started to see Vince McMahon stop caring um, For the product Because The Monday Night Wars WCW was their true competition All of the wrestling Is not that competition I'm sorry to say it You think Flip flippity fucks suck Of fucks is competition The spot orgies Is WWE's competition No it's not It is not WCW, for despite all its later flaws, it really gave the WWE a lot of ammunition to adjust, shift in attitude, literally, to to adapt to win, to eventually win out the war and remain the top to top the top dog in the wrestling business. So after Vengeance 2001, um, not counting merchandise and video games. M- mentions of ECW were never seen or heard on TV. Well, ECW had a revival for five years, from 2005 to 2010, with its own brand under WWE, albeit not as extreme as Paul Heyman's um, original ECW. Out of all the Alliance members, only Booker T, Rob Van Dam, and Tommy Dreamer would gain modest to big success post invasion angle. As for the WF, they would turn into the WE in 2002. They, again, they would have sustained success from 2002 to 2008. A period that I personally grew up with. The Ruthless Aggression Era. Uh, again, as I mentioned in the very first episode, episode 0. I grew up on the tail end of the, the, the Ruthless Aggression Era. But that's the power of YouTube. I, I still watched this. I still watched the Attitude Era. The New Jan Era. The golden, the golden era of wrestling, and this era was honestly my top two favorite, behind the Attitude Era. I, it, it's it's really a, a a big debate between Attitude Era and Ruthless Aggression Era between my top two favorite eras of WWE. But that's a discussion for another time. As for the Ruthless Aggression Era, you would see um, the likes of veterans Edge, Undertaker, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kane. Have career renaissances, and then you have the the new young bloods: John Cena, Batista, Bobby Lashley, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Brock Lesnar, all rise to superstardom. And also during that time, like for the better part of 2002 and 2003, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, would phase away. Um, not just from rest like from the WWE, but from wrestling as a whole. Two at the Attitude Era, like. Staple names They would Either take on Reduced roles In the WWE Or just leave Altogether As for Austin He had the Highly publicized Walkout In, in WWE 2002 Um But He He made peace with them He returned in 2003 He had his retirement match At Wrestlemania 19 Um He had A very Career Thundering neck injury And uh I think it's 1997, and it started to linger over the years. And he he didn't want to risk any like life threatening um um like any life threatening situations with with the injury, so he decided to retire. It gets one more match against The Rock, and before before he left in 2004, he would be a general manager, a sheriff on Raw. And as for the Rock, he won the WWE title um, before losing it to Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. He later returned in my personally favorite gimmick, the Hollywood Rock. <laughs> this arrogant, stuck-up, um, in his in over his head um, actor um, character. He would face Hulk Hogan in a rematch from WrestleMania 18. That aforementioned uh, Austin rematch at WrestleMania 19. And he faced the debut in Goldberg at the 2003 Backlash before he eventually shifted um, full-time to acting. So, some fans stopped watching wrestling entirely entirely, um, after the invasion, um, whether it's due to uninteresting stories, wrestlers, or a lack of alternative. Fans throughout this era, as the years went on, left the product and that's a trend that continues today. So, all in all, the invasion angle, the invasion storyline, it can be labeled a lot of things. It can be labeled as a giant what if, a missed opportunity, a Vince McMahon ego trip, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in the end, in my opinion, this storyline, this invasion angle had a lot of potential. It could have been so much more, but it failed because Vince McMahon was too impatient this was one those times where he was just he just was too impatient he made the he also made the invasion all about him versus his kids and him prevailing over his kids and and instead of what it should have been all along the WWF versus WCW you know those two companies finally coming to a head in person face to face but that's not what it meant, meant to be. And he didn't want to slow build this. He didn't want to slow build this angle until all the top main event talent was free. He didn't want to like wait, wait until 2002. He wanted to show, regardless of the talent that was there, regardless of the talent that he had, he wanted to show then and there that he was the one and only wrestling promotion standing tall by the storyline's end. But as a result of his impatience, the storyline became a convoluted mess full of questionable decision making and lacking star power. And well before Survivor Series, the fans grew very tired of it. They turned on it in droves. It's very indicative of the ratings and the fan reaction was well disinteresting. And well, All of us fans are just left wondering, even today, whether you're doing a retro review like I am or watching this um, on Peacock, all of us are left wondering what could have been of this invasion angle if Vince McMahon, along with other various factors, not just Vince himself, but one of the primary reasons if Vince McMahon was more patient with this this storyline, what if Vince McMahon waited just a little bit longer? If he built this up more gradually, and if every top-level WCW talent like Sting, Goldberg, the NWO were free agents, and he, he was able to get them to sign on, and we could have had a true WCW versus WF invasion storyline. But. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. If Vince McMahon was more patient, that is the morale of this retrospective of the invasion. And with that, I closed the old icebox for this episode, for this retro review, this retrospective on the Very Cold Lasagna show, this Very Cold Lasagna podcast. I am your host, Dylan Lasagna. Thank you for tuning in into this Back to the Past Blast of the invasion storyline i hope you guys enjoyed it what are you guys thoughts on the invasion storyline did you did you guys watch it or did you guys um know about it watch it are you guys watching it on peacock or the utter surf of the Utter outlet <laughs> um do you guys know about it let me if you guys know about it or you guys don't know about it i i'd love to know your thoughts on this whole storyline between wf and wcw was an interesting time in 2001 and reflecting on it 20 years later even though i didn't personally grow up on it back back in the day just looking at on it now and in years past it could have been so much more it really could have been so much more but that is it for this rendition of the old ice box and this episode of very cold lasagna i'm your host dylan lasagna thank you for tuning in to this episode Make sure to follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at VeryColdLasagna. Listen to me on this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Follow the show. Subscribe to the show on YouTube. Subscribe. Turn on that bell for updates and notifications for when each and every episode on the video side of things go up along with exclusive YouTube rants breaking news whatever's (laughs) and other random videos that I like to uh, pop up here and there but as always keep that lasagna very cold and in the fridge with your takes on the world of wrestling and sports in general and if you want your utter blasts in the past if you want to go well deep into the old icebox go check out my other retro reviews on 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 the YouTube's or on the audio side of things but as always Keep that lasagna very cold and in the fridge. And until next time, peace out.